0: understanding making connections
1: good afternoon this is wvewlp brattleboro 107.7 107.7 FM, your community radio station. We, um, we are currently not streaming live. Um, however, our show, Indigo Radio, can be found on SoundCloud, and we post it on our Brattleboro Solidarity Facebook page. And we are also on iTunes under Indigo Radio, and you are listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio or Brattleboro Solidarity and on Instagram. And you know what, Nina, I'm thinking, sorry,
2: (laughs) that this is about a year... Of Indigo Radio on the air. Is it really? Yeah.
1: Oh, wow. And the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests and not the radio station.
2: Becca? So um, today we're going to be talking about U.S. imperialism and kind of defining and seeing what that looks like. We're specifically going to focus on Central America, but look at also what's happening just generally around the world with U.S. imperialism and Mm -hmm. tie in the resistance to it as well.
1: Yeah, and this morning I interviewed uh, Laura, sorry, um, Laura Jean Embry-Lowry, who works for the organization committee in solidarity with the people in El Salvador or um, CISPES, uh, which is based out of Washington, D.C. But unfortunately, the recording... um, there were some technical difficulties so um we just wanted to uh, make let you know that we will be sort of talking about what she told me this morning um and as well as talking about sort of the larger picture of u.s imperialism in the world and in central and latin america um
2: so you ready for a song let's kick it off kick it off with a song and thanks to lauren perlstein who's on the board Oh, yeah. And who are you, Becca? What do you do? (laughs) I'm Becca. I am a teacher in Springfield, Vermont. And And I'm Nina Kunimoto, the local educator. (laughs) Here is Calle Trece, America Latina.
0: Aja Puerto Rico nasion manta pacha mi kaje trefe. taquita cancunapa
3: Los mejores atardeceres Soy el desarrollo en carne viva Un discurso político sin saliva Las caras más bonitas que he conocido Soy la fotografía de un desaparecido La sangre dentro de tus venas Este pueblo no se ahoga con marullo Y si se derrumba, yo lo reconstruyo Tampoco pestañeo cuando te miro Para que te recuerde de mi apellido La operación Cóndor invadiendo mi nido Perdono, pero nunca olvido ¡Oye! ¡Vamos!
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. Today we are talking about U.S. imperialism, and really what that means is the control and taking over of the countries throughout Latin America, but specifically we're going to focus on Central America today, and we're also going to look at resistance to U.S. imperialism. Nina, could you get us started with just the history of the U.S. in Latin America?
1: Absolutely. Um, and it's really important to understand the history and understand where, why things have happened, why things are the way they are today. Um, so the U.S. officially started intervening in Latin America in 1823, of course, the Europeans in, intervened in this whole continent, and we're not leaving that out, but specifically in, in Latin America, it was 1823 with the Monroe Doctrine, which pro- pro- proclaimed, quote-unquote, protection of Latin America against the Europeans. And it sounded very benign, as if the Americans were defending Latin Americans against colonial Europeans, but in fact, what it was doing was claiming with ex- with um exceptionalism and um and manifest destiny that this hemisphere is their own or the US it's the US's backyard mm. um and so that was the first step of keeping the Europeans out and taking this hemisphere or this continent for themselves meaning the united states taking it for themselves um And the next thing, 80 years later, we found Teddy Roosevelt, who um, had the big stick policy, and came out with the Roosevelt Corollary to the Monroe Doctrine, which basically justifies the U.S. intervening in Latin America. And the impetus for creating that corollary was that Venezuela and the Dominican uh, Republic – was in debt to a couple European countries and um, Roosevelt didn't want the European countries coming back and claiming their debt and recolonizing. But in fact, it was opening the door for US colonization of Latin America. And really that was the justification that gives the US the justification to intervene for any reason and whatever reason they feel fit um, to intervene. Uh, And then a little bit later on, we start seeing uh, investments in Latin America, um, essentially to steal the resources to make profit and to use the cheap labor. Um, And around that time is early um, 20th century is when we start seeing real military intervention to back up the businesses. Because people are being exploited and they're resisting. Mm-hmm. And our military was
2: sent in to, to crush any form of resistance. So, right. And often people don't really know that half of Mexico was taken over under this Monroe Doctrine and mm-hmm. the war against Mexico um, in uh, 1846 when they took over and expanded U.S. territories of hat into half of what was Mexico, including California and Texas. And then later on in 1898, the U.S. declared war on Spain to take over Puerto Rico, Guam, the Philippines, and Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um, And the list goes on and on. We'll continue to come up with some examples um, of the U.S. intervening. But it seems like almost every country in the Western Hemisphere has been impacted by either U.S. economic... Or military interventions. So yeah, if
1: if a place is strategically important with resources, labor, land, land being a resource, that country will definitely have had some form of intervention or or colonization um, by the United States. And so, this morning, I interviewed um, Laura. Jean Embry Lowry, who works for the organization um, Committee in Solidarity with the people in El Salvador, to talk more about modern interventions um, and the recent militarization of Central America. Um, Laura lived in San Salvador in, for six years, um, and she, currently she coordinates um, and she just works for the organization. Um, and while she was in San Salvador, she was coordinating, um, doing like political strategy work um, with their Salvadorian partners.
2: Mm. So what did she say about, you know, we know about um, Archbishop Romero being murdered, mm-hmm. along with four nuns by SOA grads, and we'll go into what the SOA is in a moment, but yeah. Um, she gave you a little bit of a historic background of U.S. in El Salvador. Could you share with us what she talked about? Absolutely. I mean, I asked her, um, you know, what was in El
1: Salvador? So El Salvador became, came into the consciousness of the American people with the um, murder of or assassination of Archbishop um. Oscar Romero in 1980, which also launched the civil war in El Salvador. And again, with the murder of the four nuns um, and the El Mozote massacre as well. But before that, I mean, El Salvador is a, she said that it's a very geopolitically strategic place where a lot of, it's, it's a port um, where people come and go um, with, with goods and that they're, that they're um, transporting. So it was very strategic for the United States. And of course, during this, uh, in the 1980s was in the midst of the Cold War. So mm-hmm. that, the communist fear of communism also um, added on top of that. Um, so the U.S. funded millions of dollars um, into this civil war. And to back a repressive government, to squash any form of resistance against the government, the government that had already been um, repressive of its own people, and in fact, 14 families control the wealth in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. Right. So 14, we're ta- wow. We're looking about at an oligarchy backed by the United States, and so the United States is funding the families and the government against the campesinos or the peasants um, who, who were fighting and resisting against this, this exploitation um, and, and concentration of wealth. And so the U S clearly had uh, interests in squashing any form of, um, any form of rebellion.
2: And, you know, it's interesting because often uh, El Salvador is talked about as a civil war during the eighties. Yeah. Right. And, um, and that's kind of the tactic that the U.S. has used, actually, mm-hmm. to create a, a conditions of a civil war. Right. Even though I wouldn't, um, I don't think politically it's correct to call it a civil war, mm-hmm. but it is. It was people turning against people right. in El Salvador, and that's one of the reasons why Archbishop Oscar Romero was killed during his last sermon. He was telling the soldiers who were fighting to. On the side of the oligarchy, right. to um, stop killing their brothers and sisters, right. he
1: said, what is it, "Put down Claudia, your weapons, basta, yeah, just mm-hmm. like enough, like stop killing each other, yeah, yeah, um, yeah." So, uh, and I, could you actually, because you you mentioned SOA, and that's a really key component of funding and training. Um, people in the military in um, Central America. So SOA is School of the Americas. Can you give us a little background of the School of the Americas?
2: Sure. Um, The School of Americas, which is now known as Western Hemisphere um, Institute for Security and Cooperation, WINSEC, um, the name change is kind of funny just to mention briefly that the campaign against the SOA grew so strong that Congress decided to defund Uh, the funding for the SOA. And the next very next day, they've reopened the school under the name WINSEC. Mm -hmm. Um, So it kind of was a tactic to disappear from the public eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically, the SOA has been around since 1946, which is interesting. I just read earlier this morning, the CIA opened the follow started the following year in 47 and thinking about Um, the strategy of the U.S. We talked about the Monroe Doctrine. This is even more of a grasp after World War II to really become the next world power. Um, And so the SOA was a part of that strategy. It's a military training base located in Fort Benning, Georgia, and it brings soldiers from Latin America, trains them, and then sends them back to their countries. And it's probably more than this now, but... Um, there's been over 65,000 Latin American soldiers trained in what they call counterinsurgency techniques. (laughs) And really, these soldiers have been trained to uphold U.S. interests in the region. Soldiers go back and wage a war against their people, killing raping, torturing, assassinating, disappearing, and El Mazote massacre, which you mentioned, mm-hmm. just burning down and wiping out entire villages.
1: Yeah, And 10 out of the 12 soldiers from El Mazote were graduates of the School of the Americas.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you look at um, what's jokingly called the resume of the School of Americas, mm-hmm. there's been 11-plus dictators that have graduated from the school. Yeah. Pinochet being one. Yep. Yeah. And um, I think the names of the graduates have stopped being released since 2004. Yes. So we only have really details unless something has um, shown up in a newspaper that this certain military person was from the SOA. That's the only way to piece together the information now. But there's enough information to show that the U.S. has been meddling in uh, affairs throughout Latin America.
1: Well, something that Laura said um, was exactly that once... SOA switched what she called a PR cleanup as Mm -hmm. you described to WinSec that's when the transparency disappeared that the pressure from the school of the America's watch pushed transparency but once they switched over there's a complete lack of transparency but the the ideology and what's being taught is still the same Mm -hmm. it is still the same um and I mean, what's being taught, What, well, what's being taught there is torture techniques um, and, uh, and go, you know, fighting and just things that you, that should not be exported. And,
2: basically. you know, it's interesting, Nina, because the, ju- the justification has changed, right? It mm-hmm. was when it, during the Cold War, it was fighting communism um, and then it became fighting terrorism, and now it's narco-trafficking and narco-terrorism. And right. so depending on what's happening in the region, right. which is also fueled by the U.S. in a lot of ways, um, there's a new justification that keeps on occurring mm-hmm. or is used. Yeah. But the same thing's happening. And while things are hidden and not transparent, they're also very transparent. Mm-hmm. For example, the Pentagon report to Congress states that combat training at the SOA supports U.S. policy towards Latin America, which, in quotes, seeks to develop stable, free market democracies throughout the region. And very closely tied to the SOA is the U.S. Southern Command, or SOUTHCOM, which is referred to, Mm -hmm. which also has the mission of, quote-unquote, protecting the supply of strategic natural resources and access to the markets. And you're quoting this, right? I'm quoting this. Yeah,
1: this is quoted by from the US government. Like they're not they don't hide what their
2: what their goals are. No, it's the, it's protecting the interests of multinational corporations. Yeah. And maintain maintaining the economic status quo for a few people to benefit off of the majority of the resources and people's labor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um and, you know, when I, when I was speaking with Laura, I uh, asked her, you know, about today, particularly in El Salvador, since she focuses on El Salvador, and I asked her about resistance, especially against this form of privatization um, and militarization. And, it, and, you know, she was very encouraging, um, especially for, for listeners and, and to folks in the United States, that it's really important to connect with the popular movements and the resistance in Latin America, that Americans should be connecting with them because there's a lot to learn from them, um, according to Laura. Um, for example, uh, in El Salvador, just some of the successes, because, um, you know, we, we talked a lot about, like, the push down, but also the push back, right? Um, and the El Salvador has been successful at, at instituting anti-mining law. Um, there's, I mean, you know, and you mentioned earlier, like, there's a lot of governments in Latin America that have resisted against the United States, right, and who are an inspiration, like in Bolivia and and Chavez and Venezuela. Um, And she also talked a lot about the labor movement, um, you know, and and the labor movement in El Salvador right now, although it's very strong, um, the the government, along with the U.S., is really trying to neutralize the labor movement, um, but they have, won uh, minimum wage increases, and so U.S. companies in El Salvador, the maquiladoras, are kind of freaking out, what are we going to do, because wages have gone up. Um, and she also really felt that it was important for Americans, for any U.S. solidarity movement, to connect with the movements, the popular movements in Latin America, but to have an anti-imperialist analysis, mm.
4: um,
1: because it's it's imperialism, and you have to see it in that way in the larger picture of um, of the desperation. Like to her, the U.S. is really clamping down and militarizing a lot more because it's getting weaker. Um, And so if you have, you have to perceive it in that way in order to, to
2: fight against it. Um, So Nina, I'm wondering if we should go to a song break and then come back and maybe we can for ourselves and for our listeners work on defining what is imperialism. That sounds good to me. And come (laughs) share some more examples of both um, U.S. domination, but also resistance to that domination. So, we are going now to a song by Silvio Rodriguez, El Neseo.
0: no hacer de mí con los pedazos Para salvarme entre únicos e impares Para hacerme el lugar en su parnazo Para darme un concito en sus altares Me vienen a convidar a arrepentirme Me vienen a convidar a que no pierda Vienen a convidar a indefinirme. Me vienen a convidar a tanta mierda. Yo no sé lo que es el destino. Caminando fui lo que fui. Allá dios, ¿qué será divino? Yo me muevo Yo me muero como viví Yo me muero como viví caso multiplicar panes y peces, yo no sé lo que es el destino, caminando fui lo que fui, haya Dios que será divino, yo me muero como vivir, yo me muero como vivir, yo me muero como vivir. ¿Cómo? Que me arrastrarán por sobre rocas Cuando la revolución se venga abajo Que machacaran mis manos y mi boca Que me arrancaran los ojos y el badajo Será que la necedad parió conmigo La necedad de lo que hoy resulta necio La necesidad de asumir al enemigo Necesita de vivir sin tener precio, yo no sé lo que es el destino. tanto fui lo que fui, haya dios que será divino. Yo me muero como vivir, yo me muero como vivir,
5: yo me muero como vivir.
2: So, this is Indigo Radio, Deepening Understanding, Making Connections on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. You were just listening to Silvio Rodriguez, El Nesio, which means the stubborn. Um, And Silvio Rodriguez was a Cuban singer who was really um, a stronghold in the 70s of the left movements in Latin America, resisting. Um, the militarism and dictatorships that were happening throughout the region. Um, and I just wanted to mention that the first song we played, Calle Trece, America Latina, um, the, for those who don't speak Spanish, the, the chorus of that song is saying, you can't buy the wind, you can't buy the sun, you can't buy the rain, you can't buy the heat, you can't buy the clouds or the colors, you can't buy my happiness, and you can't buy my pains and so it's really um kai trace is if you look them up and watch the video it's showing the um strength and beauty of the resistance of people in latin america right and capitalism thinks that
1: we can buy those things or it it, it sucks them up exactly um, so in this segment we're going to focus on the larger um US imperialism. Um, And Becca has a quote from Thomas L. Friedman about um, capitalism, um, which is capitalism is the economy under which we live, right? Where uh, people people and resources are exploited by a few and those few who profit. And the, the next logical step of capitalism is to spread. And we like to use the word globalization, but another word is imperialism.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and so in the New York Times editorial by Thomas Friedman, he wrote, For globalization to work, America can't be afraid to act like an almighty superpower that it is. The hidden hand of the market will never work without a hidden fist. And this is just so clearly represented in the history and relationship between the U.S. and countries throughout the Western Hemisphere Mm -hmm. that the U.S. wants to be the superpower, wants to be the one benefiting. And it's not everyone in the U.S. that's benefiting. There are some certain... um, ways in which I think everyone benefits with a higher level of everyone has a TV, for example. Right. But in reality, the people who are benefiting are still the elites or the people who are in power, um, both politically and economically. And they're enforcing both economically, they're trying to take over the markets and take over labor, and extraction of resources. And when that works on its own, great. But usually it needs what Thomas Friedman calls the hidden fist. Right. The military, the School yeah. of Americas, mm-hmm. something coming in and forcing people right. to give up what is theirs. And so we have a,
1: a clip um, with, with um, an interview of Nam Chomsky where he talks about uh, U.S. Uh, global imperialism and its ties to the economics or capitalism.
6: We with you. Where do you
1: think the US's aspirations for empire come from? Is it the nature of any state to uh, pursue military domination or do you think there's something specific to US history that this uh, country is particularly uh, prone to imperialism because of?
6: A good explanation of it was given by uh, Uh, John Lewis Gaddis, expansion is the path to security. If you want to be secure, you have to control everything else. The uh, commitment to empire goes back to the original colonization. By the Second World War, uh, the United States was in a position of unprecedented power. At the end of the Second World War, uh, the U.S. literally had half the world's wealth The tacit assumption was, we own the world. Uh, You can see this very clearly in what happened as soon as this system of power began to erode, and that happened very quickly. In 1949, uh, China became independent. Uh, There's a name for that in American political history. It's called the loss of China, Uh, the phrase loss of China expresses the tacit assumption that basically we own China and if it moves to independence we've lost it and uh, since we own most of the world in this sense we have to defend it so we have to have a thousand military bases uh, military forces almost as uh, great as the rest of the world combined and it runs right through American history this fear of everything is pervasive goes back to the origins of the society, it's related to the imperial thrust of, as Gaddis put it, uh, attaining um, security through expansion, and that's uh, limitless essentially. So that's the imperial thrust, it's not unique to the United States, it's uh, developed in an extreme form here, but that's because of uh, extraordinary U.S. Uh, wealth and power.
2: How intertwined is corporatism
1: and the drive for profit with our militarism? Is it always the case that, that the drive for access to resources tends to
4: drive our militarism?
6: Well, if you look, take a look through history again, in the 19th century, the major commodity, uh, the equivalent of oil today, was cotton. Uh, that was the source of the Industrial Revolution. Jacksonian uh, presidents of mid-19th century uh, explained very clearly that they wanted to uh, conquer Texas and a large part of Mexico, approximately half, in order to try to gain a monopoly over cotton. Uh, President Polk said, pointed, said that uh, that would bring England to our feet by... Uh, gaining a monopoly of the major commodity in the world, cotton. Move on a few years, oil becomes the major commodity. And incidentally, it's not a matter of primarily of access to oil. During the whole period when the US was the major producer and didn't need access to the oil, its policies were the same. The issue was control over oil, not access. And there was a reason for that. When the U.S. invaded Iraq in 2003, Zbigniew Brzezinski said, if it works, it'll be very good, because controlling Iraqi oil and increasing our control over Middle East oil will give us what he called critical leverage over Europe and other industrial powers. We'll be in a position to hold the spigot. I've just talked about two of them.
1: So that was uh, Nam Chomsky um being interviewed and um we'll put I'll put the uh the the whole interview on online when we upload the uh the show on our Facebook page um but there he was talking about sort of the history of US imperialism um and as you were saying earlier the the need for that fist I mean yeah who wants to be who wants to be colonized Mm -hmm. and and taken over so there there's always that resistance that needs to be crushed by the u.s
2: you know it was interesting because i uh, i thought it was interesting how he was talking about gaining control Mm -hmm. or gaining monopoly yeah um meaning like having all of the control yeah um of major commodities, Mm -hmm. and that it was control over oil, not access. And I thought that was a really interesting... There's a difference in those two words. Yeah. And the uh, implications of them, right? Speak a little bit more about that, about the difference. Well, that even when the U.S. was producing oil that didn't need it for consumption, Mm -hmm. um, that it is about... The, po- the power comes from being able to control right. those resources. And so even this idea of corporatism that the woman who's interviewing Noam Chomsky says, I think blurs our vision of what is actually happening mm-hmm. because it's not about corporations Mm-mm. and consumption.
6: No. Right?
2: It's about um, the geopolitics of being the po- ones in charge. And when you own... Then you can benefit off exactly of make what the you're profit, owning, right? Even if you need you, even if you don't need it for yourself, right? And the wars in uh, throughout the Arab world are not talked about. That it's talked about. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's for our consumption. We need right. these things
1: that that you're saying. So you're saying it's it's for the surplus, like the extras, to be able to sell in order to make the profit.
2: Yeah, and yeah. I think about that um, connected to the history in the western hemisphere coming back to that mm-hmm. in 1891 the last monarchy of hawaii oh, yeah. queen uh lilio kalani kalani um who was fighting back against dull pineapples yep. saying no our land is not just for you to steal our goods and mm-hmm. reap the benefits off of it mm-hmm. the land belongs to the people right. and therefore the pineapples growing here belong to the people right. if you want to pay fairly for those pineapples we can have a deal. Yeah. And she was removed from power, yeah. and that was the last time that Hawaii was really a sovereign nation. Yeah. And again, in 1954 in Guatemala, yeah. when the CIA overthrew democratically elected President Jacobo Bo Arbenz, um, he was working to have a massive land reform. At that yeah. time, 3% of landowners held 70% of the land, and he was working on nationalizing the land. Yeah. And the United Fruit Company... That was um, their control of land for bananas, right? United yep. Fruit Company is now yes. Chiquita, right? Yep. Yep. So Banana the control Republic. of land, it wasn't about access to bananas. It was controlling right. the mm. land and um, being able to sell for a higher profit than they were produced right? without having to pay any of the corporate taxes in mm-hmm. um, Guatemala. And so when the United Fruit Company said, hey, this can't happen, the CIA... Stepped in and overthrew exactly. the president of Guatemala. Yeah, so it
1: just—I mean, if we look at um, bases today, right? So if we those are that was in the fifties and, and in the late eighteen hundreds, and uh, I mean, let's just look at the the number of bases, right? A, a historian um, calls it empire of bases. We have eight hundred. Probably close to a thousand U.S. bases around the world, right? 174, and in, in Germany alone, mm-hmm. 113 in Japan, 83 in South Korea, and 80 uh, others, right? In other countries like Aruba, Australia, Bahrain, Bulgaria, Colombia, Kenya, Qatar, and there, there are these like you were you were talking about um, what's it called? Uh, Southcom. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's also AFRICOM, right? Mm -hmm. Where a lot of them are also becoming bases for drones Mm -hmm. um, and and, attacking. And I mean, you just have to wonder how is this connected to the control of the resources that are found in Africa or in the Middle East? Um, Because currently... And since the fall of the Soviet Union, right, um, the U.S. kind of, I think, has been trying to monopolize Mm -hmm. control
2: of -hmm. the Middle East, trying to take it for itself. Yeah. And it was interesting connecting that, what you're saying to Noam Chomsky's interview again that expansion path is the path to security. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking about security for whom and security for what. And yeah. I think what he means by that, security for um, people who are benefiting off of, from capitalism. Right. And I don't mean there's an argument that maybe everyone benefits from capitalism. I'm talking about the people who right. own and control the resources and wealth of the world right. who want to maintain that control. And so security for them means continuing to have markets open throughout Mm -hmm. Latin America and it continues and it means controlling people as well and the resistance right right so these military bases are um they cause like destabilization throughout the region Mm -hmm. even just the very existence of them yeah let alone all of the military operations that happen from these bases, right?
1: And I wanted to kind of connect it to what Laura was saying in terms of like neutralizing movements and neutralizing union movements um, to benefit the the to benefit capitalism or to benefit the imperial um, force or the nation, of the United States, um, and that, that that's very common and use mili- the military is used to neutralize. Um, a lot of resistance movements. Yeah. Um, so, uh, before we continue, I wanted to, um, sort of promote a study group that we have, um, coming up starting actually tomorrow. Um, you are welcome to sign up, um, it's never too late. So, uh, Brattleboro Solidarity is um, hosting a study group in uh, at Antioch University in Keene um, called the Construction of Whiteness Study Group. And the study group will, will be um, again at Antioch University in Keene, New Hampshire, um, on four Mondays: September 25th, October 2nd, October 9th, and October 16th, from 6 to 7:30. There will be soup and bread. And uh, we ask that you commit to all four, four Mondays. Um, if you would like to either sign up or just get the readings for the study group, pr- please email solidarity at
2: gmail.com. So we're going to go to our next song break by Victor Hara El Arado. Um, and Victor Hara, for people who don't know, was part of the Chilean resistance, um, and he was captured when the U.S. intervened um, and took out the democratically elected president, and he was killed um, for his political activism by graduates at the School of Americas. This song means the plow. <laughs> ¶¶
5: Aprieto firme mi mano y hundo el arao en la tierra, hace años que llevo en ella, como no estar agotado. Aprieto firme mi mano y hundo el arao en la tierra. Hace años que llevo en ella con nuestra gota. Vuelan mariposas, cantan grillos, la piel se me pone negra y el sol brilla, brilla y brilla. El sudor me hace surcos, yo hago surcos a la tierra, sin parar. Vuelan mariposas, cantan grillos, la piel se me pone negra, y el sol brilla, brilla y brilla. El sudor me hace surcos, yo hago surcos a la tierra, Sin parar Afirmo bien la esperanza Cuando pienso en la otra estrella Nunca es tarde, me dice ella, la paloma volará. Afirmo bien la esperanza cuando pienso en la otra estrella. Nunca es tarde, me dice ella, la
6: Today's programming on WVEW is underwritten in part by Everyone's Books. Located in downtown Brattleboro at 25 Elliott Street, Everyone's Books is a family-owned, independent bookstore that has been serving the community for over 30 years. They specialize in books about social change, the environment, politics and travel and offer a huge range of children's books you can reach them by phone at 802-254-8160 or online via their website at everyonesbks.com wvew thanks everyone's books for their support of this station
2: so welcome back you're listening to indigo radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. Today, we've been talking about U.S. Uh, economic and military and political control uh, yeah. acro- ar- around the world, but specifically looking at Central America and throughout Latin America, and using the word U.S. imperialism to, def- to yeah. describe that phenomenon. Yeah.
1: And you know, as we wrap up the show and, and kind of think about and reflect on some of the things that, that we talked about um, and, and to really think about, like, how do we as Americans, right? Like, how do we think about all of this, right? We are in the, the belly of the beast. And, and how does that fit into our consciousness in our lives?
2: And I think it's so important that you said Americans because it connects us to the rest of the hemisphere, right? Yeah. Um, I think about um, in 2009 when the Honduras coup happened with the backing of the U.S. State Department. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the reason that the democratically elected President Zelaya who was removed from office the same day that he was putting out a referendum asking the people if they wanted to change the constitution in Honduras, which the US government wrote (laughs) when they had militarily invaded Honduras uh, 50, 60 years before that. And so the resistance for me is what we should connect to. Mm -hmm. People mobilized in the streets and they continue to mobilize La Resistencia as the movement after the coup in Honduras happened. And just thinking about the strength of the people and how people came together to support one another in what they needed in their daily lives. Um, and the it's for people in Latin America, I think, and depending on what class you are, of course. right, um, But For peasants and the working class, Mm -hmm. none of this is new. Right, This has been going on for so long. There's no facade. Right. They they see U.S. imperialism in their face. And there is somewhat of a blinds over people in the United States. And again, not everyone. It depends on your class. Right. And also race here in the U.S. Right. Of whether or not you see um, the U.S. capitalism dominating your life.
1: Yeah. And I think there's definitely... A push to again use that word to neutralize, right, putting the blinders on here, because what would happen if people actually stood in solidarity with the popular movements in Latin America and stood up against u s imperialism that could
2: be dangerous mm. and I think um in thinking about the word solidarity, what does it mean to be in solidarity? with people who are facing uh, U.S. militarization in their daily lives Mm -hmm. also means that we have to see how militarism is in our daily lives. And for me, it might not be threatening my existence, um, but it's in my classroom all the time Mm -hmm. uh, as a public school teacher. And it's in my students' lives and and thinking about um, what I want young people to see from Latin America is the resistance and the strength Mm -hmm. that the people have. Because I would say that in some ways, U.S. imperialism has been thrown... Like, there's enough force in some of the movements in Mm -hmm. Latin America. I think there were um, 10 countries that pulled their troops out of the School of Americas. Yep, Mm -hmm. Uh, Venezuela was one, I know. Bolivia probably would be one. Yep. Um, And... So there's a strong movement Mm -hmm. against imperialism throughout Latin America that needs to be part of the focus as well of Mm -hmm. how are people resisting and what actually are they doing
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, and for us to
1: connect with that mm-hmm. um so we're we're at the end of our show and we'd like to thank lauren for helping us on the board um and we'd like to thank laura for speaking with us this morning um and this is indigo radio uh the Brattleboro Community Radio Station, 107.7 FM. Make sure to check out um, our Facebook page at Indigo Radio or Brattleboro Solidarity. Um, I I will be posting um, the videos and some of the articles up on Facebook so that you could take a look at them if you want to study further or look further into this. Um, And we'll be posting the show on SoundCloud and iTunes um, later on today. And um, in the near future, not next week, but we will continue this conversation um, about Latin America. Uh, we we will be interviewing Aviva Chomsky about... Um, immigration and and her take on sort of the history of the U.S. in Latin America. And we'll also be speaking um, to a professor in Japan about the resistance against the U.S. military bases in Okinawa
2: currently. Mm -hmm. And we'll have a couple other shows. um, On November 10th, so the U.S., uh, sorry, the School of America's watch used to have a mobilization for about 25 years at the base in fort benning and they last year they recently moved that uh mobilization to the u.s mexico border and so that will be happening november 10th and a couple of us will be going to that mobilization so we'll have a show report back about that um we also have indigo institute october 13th and 14th this one's going to be for educators anyone who considers themselves an educator you don't have to be a classroom teacher Mm -hmm. looking at um how to bring voices of working people into the classroom but also voices of resistance um into education work in general. And so we hope people will join us. We'll yep. have more details of that next week on our show.
1: Definitely. Well, thank you for joining us today and um, join us again next week at noon. And we just want to reiterate that the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. And we'll see you next week. And we would like to leave you with Kila um, Payon
2: and El Pueblo Unido, since we talked about solidarity. Which means the people united will never be defeated is what the song's singing about.
7: Este combate se alzará, dirá, canción de libertad, con decisión la patria vencerá y ahora.